Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Killing Me Smalls podcast. This is a great episode for me. I'm catching up with a guy that let me just let me just give you a little bit of background. I got out of college and was a television sports reporter, and I got my big break less than a year later, and that was to be the producer and reporter and sometimes host of the Dean Smith and Mac Brown TV show. And coming in as a freshman that year was a guy named George Lynch, who's sitting right here, and he also played for the Lakers and the Sixers and a bunch of other stuff and is a guy I consider a friend, and I'm so excited to have him here. George, welcome to the Killing Me Smalls podcast. Thanks for having me. Love to be on there. Killing me, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Look what I dug up, man. This is, uh, this is you and me right before the Final Four in 1993, right before heading oh, down yeah. there. That's some great memories right there. That's a good, good V-neck I had on. <laughs> and we you both, said it, not me. both might be a little bit younger back then. So, George, you know, um, I remember, you know, obviously one of the coolest parts about that job was I traveled with the team. You know, I went on every road trip with you. Um, I remember we were in the Canary Islands and we were so sick of the food. I think it was Thanksgiving. We all went to McDonald's. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yep. That was yep. big. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but, um, and we had, we had a lot of fun, but man, you, you played in a huge game, one that is, is memorable. It's, it's talked about all the time. And that was the 1993 national championship game against Michigan. You had that monster dunk that was on the cover of sports illustrated. And that was the game that Chris Weber called the timeout. What do you remember yeah. now, 27 years later, looking back at that? Well, you know, is, is, for us, that season was almost the perfect season for us because, you know, you go back and look at each game that we lost. We lost four games that year. Yep. And one of them was two Michigan and in Hawaii. Um, in Hawaii. On a last minute and, shot by Jalen Rose. Yep. Last yep. minute tip in. Yep. And if you, if you ever watch the Dean Smith practice, uh, he always focused on the details. Um, and that practice, well, throughout, throughout that year, even even my younger years when I first got to Carolina, I think back on some of the the lessons that Coach Smith taught me. Um, you know, coming out, I was a I was an offensive rebounder. That's what I was known for, mm -hmm. and I never boxed out in practice. And Coach Smith used to get so mad at me, even when I got the rebound. If I didn't box out to pursue the rebound. He made me run. He would put the weight vests on. And he pulled me into his office one time and he was like, George, and you know how Coach Smith talked. Yeah. Uh, you know, guys, guys always crack jokes. Even me and Matt, Matt Doherty, we did a show and he he even um emulated Coach Smith for <laughs> George, if you you know anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of those voices and he wasn't he wasn't the biggest man. No. But he, if you, his presence, you thought he was the biggest man in the building. Oh, he scared the crap out of you. He got mad oh, at me one time, oh, yeah. called me in his office. It was not a good day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of coming to office stories, too. Yeah. Uh, so he pulled me in his office, and he was like, John, if you, you can't box out, I can't play you. And then he, he gave me a story. He said, you know, he, he pulled James Worthy in, and he said, James, 
if you don't box out, I can't play you. And James is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So I'm sitting here, 18 year old kid, like, if he gonna bench James, he'll definitely bench me. But James broke his leg right after he had that conversation. So he was like, look, I don't, I don't want the same thing to happen to you, but if you're going to play for me, you got to box out. And so those little teeny lessons that uh, he was trying to teach us, uh, you know, we didn't box out Jalen Rose in that game in Hawaii. We lost that game. And there was a, you know, leading up to those years. And I look back and it was early, right before the end of the ACC tournament, if you ever watched Coach Smith practices, he had practices where there was, um, he would break game, situ- he called it yep. situations. So he would put the blue team up eight to 10 points and we would be down the white team and we either had to get back in the game or tie the game or take the lead. So of course the first team was Donald, Donna Williams, Derek Phelps, myself, Brian Reese, and Eric Montrose. Mm-hmm. So we making this push to get back into the game. And our, our second team was no slouch. I mean, they had, you know, Pat Sullivan, Matt Winstrom, Salvadori, Scott Cherry, Henrik Rodel, uh, that year. And to give them 10 to 15 Which would points, be a ranked, which would be a top 20 team. Just right. those five guys and, would be a top 20 team. Yeah, and you give them a 15 point lead with two minutes and say, all right, y'all get back in this game and no timeouts. So we, we making our way to get back into the game. And, and this was a practice. And of course is at the end of practice. So, and you know, you got to run. If you lose, we ran for everything we lost. Everything was competition. So as we making our way back into the game, Donna Williams steals a loose ball, a 50, 50 ball. He dives on the floor. Everybody's running to him, like trying to time up. He calls a timeout. Now, back then, you could practice for three hours, four hours. Coach Smith was going to keep you in the gym until you got it right. <laughs> and we had already practiced three hours. It was like, look, we're trying to win this game and we're not trying to run. So Donald calls a timeout. Coach Smith puts us on the end line after a three-hour practice, makes us run more for calling a timeout that he says, these are my timeouts. Nobody calls a timeout unless I tell you to call a timeout. So we learned, this was in Steve November, Fisher didn't December. do that. Right, yeah. <laughs> so this was in December. We running because a, a player called timeout in practice. So get go to a, uh, you know April 5th. We in the final four, championship game. You know, all the stuff that happened before that. And, and, and I tell people, like, Coach Smith gave me the freedom to just go trap whenever I saw the back of a teammate's jersey. Not the yeah. back of a teammate, opposing team's jersey. And, of course, we had Montrose back there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's just going to the rim freely on Montrose. So uh, a few minutes before that, before that Chris Weber timeout. Travel, yeah. Well, even before that um, – they call in timeouts because they can't get the ball in the bounds. We're right. not trapping. We just running a I told Derek, I said, look, anytime Jalen Rose takes the ball out, I'm gonna stay up with you and we're gonna do a two-man press. Montrose, you run back and protect the rim. I wasn't even supposed to be first of all, I wasn't even supposed to be guarding Chris Weber. 
that was Eric's man. So Eric runs back to protect the rim. My man, Juwan Howard, takes off. I know that if anything, I can guard Jalen Rose one-on-one. I can guard Chris Webber one-on-one. That far from the basket, I can guard Chris Webber. Mm -hmm. Um, And Juwan Howard is going to run down, and I'm fast enough to get back to him. And then Chris Webber's, you know, he wasn't really shooting trail three. So (laughs) it was one of those situations where Dirk and I just worked it out. Different game back then. Right. And so to get to the point was they burned one or two timeouts trying to get the ball inbounds because they wasn't organized. And so they burned the timeouts and we go back to the we go back to the huddle and Coach Smith telling us this that was their last time out. We come back on the court, you know, it's 60, 70,000 people watching the game, everybody's screaming, game is on the line. I heard timeouts myself. Uh, so whoever was calling timeouts coming up that sideline, I think even even though Coach Smith would have had drilled it into us, nobody calls a timeout. I would have called a timeout in that situation myself. So it was it was a lot of pressure on a on a young team. You ever you ever brother. bump into him in the NBA and talk about it? <clears throat> well, because I saw the media, how much flack he took, you know how disappointed he was. And they they talked a lot of trash about how good they were. They were better than us. Yeah, yeah. They had more. Yeah, they had more talent. They talked a lot in Hawaii after that game, right? And we had Dean Smith. And going into any game, any gym, I knew we were prepared if we stuck to our game plan and what Coach Smith put on the bulletin board. It wasn't too many games we were going to lose. And going into that game, yeah, they would have found five and. They had potential pros on their team, but they one through twelve on our team. We knew that we were the better team that night. You know, it's interesting um, looking back on that. You talked about you came in as an offensive rebounder, but you were starting in your freshman year. And I remember going. You know, it was right when I moved to Chapel Hill, and you know, my office was right next door to the locker room. And so I used to go to I used to go to watch those famous pickup games which mm-hmm. was one of my favorite things to do. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan would play and, yeah. you know, James War, like all these guys would come back and play. And I remember, I just remember you going in there and holding your own as a freshman and grabbing every rebound and playing defense. I was like, this kid's going to play. And I will say this, what, you know, a lot of people don't know this, you know, your numbers hanging in the rafters, you're a lottery mm-hmm. pick. Um, but I've never seen, or at least in my time there, I'd never seen Coach Smith get emotional about one player. And do you remember the senior banquet when he was talking about you? Yes. Uh-huh. I, he cried yeah. as he was talking about you. I mean, think about that. When you, I mean, think about that all these years later, um, what you meant to him. You talk about what, mm-hmm. what you, he meant to you, but clearly um, you had a special place in his heart. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was, he was, you know, I never expected anything. Uh, You know, he recruited me like he recruited every other player that came Mm -hmm. to Carolina. Uh, He didn't promise me anything. I didn't want any promises. You know, a lot of times when I was being recruited and people knew Carolina was one of the schools on my list, they would say, well, you go to Carolina, you're not going to play. 
in my mindset, in my mind, I was like, I don't care where I go to school, I'm playing. And mm-hmm. I don't care who's in front of me, who's in front of me, who's behind me. Uh, I'm going to do the little things. And I was taught, my stepfather used to take me to the gym. And, and I like to share this story because I have to give him a lot of credit for my success. Uh, when I was a young youngster, um, you know, I used to go to the park and play with bigger guys, older guys. And I came, I came home one time and I was like, pops, I don't like going to the park. And he's like, why? And he was like, I was like, the big guys don't pass me the ball. And he asked me, he said, can you play defense? And I was like, yes, sir. He said, can you rebound? I was like, yes, sir. He said, can you dribble? Because he used to make me, he used to make me go to the store, dribble the basketball, going right hand, come back with my left. So although I was a, I guess I was a big kid, I always learned how to dribble the basketball and all my cousins were smaller. So when we was playing one-on-one, I was always playing against smaller, uh, smaller kids. And um, so I'm at the park with the older guys. And even, you know, if you go to the park and play pickup, you have to be good for the older mm-hmm. guys to pick you to play. So yeah. I used to have to sit around and wait. And then when I got my chance to play, the older guys didn't want to pass you the ball because you were one of the younger kids. So he squashed that. He was like, look, you can rebound, you can play defense, you can dribble, and you can shoot. He said, play defense, get the rebound, <laughs> dribble up to court yourself, and shoot the ball. Then you ain't got to ask nobody for the ball. So I learned that at an early age. Uh, my high school team uh, at Patrick Henry, I had great players around me. When I went up to Flint Hill and played for Stu Vetter, I had great players around me. So I always learned to uh, gel and figure out, okay, what's my niche? So when I got to Carolina, I wasn't a highly recruit. I was a I was highly recruited, but I wasn't one of those highly recruited kids that said, I got to score the basketball. Yeah, I had people in my ear saying, you need to shoot more like every other recruit that comes through there. Mm-hmm. but Coach Smith saw early that I would do the little things. I would play defense. I would dive on the floor for loose balls. And I would do things that help help us win. Because, you know, I had Rick Fox. I had King Rice, Pete Chilcutt, Kevin Madden, Scott Williams when I came in as a freshman. Those guys wanted to shoot the ball too. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had to wait my turn. And I was patient. I think Coach Smith recognized that. He saw it. Uh, And he once pulled pulled me in the office. And he told me, he said, you can be the best player on this team without even shooting the ball. So going into my senior year, I knew we had. You know, I remember that because you and I had a conversation because one of the one of the core things that that I got to do, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, when I was doing the player features one summer, you and I drove from Chapel Hill to Roanoke. You remember that? And we did a Mm -hmm. and we did a, a feature on you and your hometown and you know, where you got your hair cut and where you played basketball yeah. and everything. And, uh-huh. and I remember you telling me a story. This was, this was before, this was before your senior year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's somewhere. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to convert it. Anymore. But, um, I remember you telling me that people were in your ear about, I got to shoot the three to make it in the NBA. And I remember you telling me a story where he called you in and was like, you don't even have to, and you're going to be a the best player on the team and you're going to be a, a high draft pick without even yep. worrying about that. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember that story you told. That was a great memory for me to spend all that time with you and 
and we had a good time. We did an up and back to from Chapel Hill to Roanoke in one day. Yeah. You know, another um, another thing I want to get into here is uh, your time with the Sixers. And I do want to get back to Carolina because they play Duke next week. And I definitely want to ask mm-hmm. a couple of Carolina Duke stories. But okay. um, you you were a big part of the turnaround. Uh, Larry Brown brought you in. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you you broke your foot. I think it was game four in against yeah. Toronto. And, yeah. you know, you, you tried to play with a, a broken foot in the finals. Um, and I, I still believe that if you were healthy, the Sixers had a real good shot. Uh, oh yeah, I, I, I believe if I was healthy, we would have won that series. Because uh, of course they had Rick Fox and Robert Horry would probably been my matchups. Yeah, they they played Rick big went in, off in too series. in those yeah, first Rick, Rick games. Had, yeah, he had a big series. I love Rick, but I wasn't rooting for him for that series. Right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I mean, I wanted to play so bad. I think if the the problem I had was the screw that they put in my foot was too small, and I wasn't. I wasn't able to play with the pain, but um, go ahead, finish what you were saying. No, that's fine. We we've had all kinds of issues with Sixers doctors over the years. But that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you though, before we go any further, Game One, Iverson was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Steps over Teron Lou. What did you guys say to him in the huddle after that? Do you remember? I mean, I know you weren't playing, but you were on the bench. Do you remember right. anything about a conversation with him that about that iconic play? Well, we saw it all the time um, with Allen. Um, you know, he has some, to be so small. Um, and I look back on my NBA career, I played with a lot of guys that, that were so-called franchise players or yeah. uh, considered not too many Hall of Famers. I mean, Irving came out of retirement, Magic. And then my first year there with the Lakers with James, who was a, who's going to be a Hall of Famer. And then, you know, Vladi Divac should be yeah. a Hall of Famer one day. Um, but Allen, you know, he, you know, people say, well, he was misunderstood and things like that. His teammates didn't misunderstand him. I think if people from the outside that really didn't know sports, he gave everything he had at game time. Now practices, you know, NBA season, some guys practice, some guys don't, uh, you know, but for his size, and the things that he was able to do in games, the way he competed, he had the utmost respect from every teammate. At least the guy, the years that I was there, we respected Allen. You know, he did what he did off the court, but on the court, there was no one else in my twelve years of playing that I wanted to be beside me going into a battle. He was, he was, uh, he was that great of a player. I respect him. Uh, the way he left it all on the court. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was just Allen being Allen when he stepped over Teron Lou. He made great plays. Um, did you guys uh, not react the same way that we did? I mean, that play is still shown all the time. As a matter of fact, he's yeah, in I mean, a commercial we, about a casino and he steps over a guy yeah. in it right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, it was just another unbelievable play that, AI would make, and I mean, we saw him all the time in practice, but uh, it really wasn't too much. Yeah, you know, I think some of the other guys were tapping him on the back, and you know, uh, but in the moment, you couldn't really brag about it because we was trying to win the game, and we didn't want 
the Lakers would look down and see that we were celebrating too much. Um, yeah. It was expected from Allen to do, do those type of things throughout the game. Larry Brown and Allen had a toxic relationship. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was the love, the classic love hate, and now they respect <laughs> and love each other. Any good stories from practice or any good rants <laughs> you can remember with Larry and Allen that it you can share? Every, it was it was one every day. You know, Coach Brown. Do you have a favorite one? Um, man, shoot, all of them was classic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's. It, you know, Allen was Allen, and and Coach Brown, he was a teacher. Um, you know there, you know Allen would come to practice, and Coach Brown would be in practice, and and Coach Brown is a teacher. I mean, I worked with him at SMU, mm-hmm. and this was probably what six, seven years ago. My youngest Santana was probably eight. Coach Brown would, he's at the gym all day. He would leave. He would, he would run the SMU practice. After SMU practice, my son Santana and a couple of his brothers would come in and get shots. And Coach Brown would coach them. <laughs> so, but to get back to the Allen stories, it was, it was a toxic relationship. Um, coach Brown was just trying to teach. Allen was so gifted that he didn't, I mean, it was Allen, you do your thing, and, and the other four guys, y'all react to what Allen's doing. So it really wasn't a lot that Coach Brown, he coached Allen. I mean, he would he would get on Allen, uh, you know, but Coach Brown knew that once the, once the ball went up, Allen was going to give us everything. I mean, there was one instance, yeah. you know, Allen would do so many things that was just outrageous if you didn't know him. <laughs> But because we knew him, it's hard to say which story was better. Uh, you know, there were times Coach Brown would just be glad that Allen didn't practice just so he could teach. And then oh, so we would be in practice. If you if you haven't seen a if you haven't seen a Coach Brown practice, the problem Coach Brown well not a problem to me. And I don't, you're gonna have to cut this up. So. Nope, there's no editing. For, for play- Your best. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. For players like me, myself, Aaron McKee, Tyrone Hill, Matumbo, Theo, uh, Eric Snow, we had to sit down and figure, watch the other team's game plan. Yeah. I mean, we were pros, but we weren't that good that we could just wing it like, like Allen um, on the offensive side. So we had to have a game plan. We had to listen to the details of coach. But Allen was, Allen was so good. I'm, I, I, I like to tell kids this. There's, there's pros, and then there's Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, those type of guys. But I think Allen was so gifted in anything that he wanted to do, drawing, if he wanted to play football, if he mm-hmm. wanted to play baseball, he would have been a pro. The rest of us, we had to pick a sport and we had to work hard at it. Um, Allen came back from, you know, I think it was a pinky or a thumb where he fractured his finger. He had to sit out maybe eight games, which is a month at that time, or maybe 10 games. He comes back, practice one time, the next game he plays close to 40 something minutes, has 35, 
And that's without Coach Brown even coaching them, you know. Just so your natural ability. Just, just natural talent, throw the ball up. Conditioning was energy level was through the roof. Uh, I don't know how he did it because he would eat hot dogs and chicken and rice 30 <laughs> minutes before tip off. I don't know how he kept it down. <laughs> but Among he was just, yeah, and he was just he was just so gifted. So, you know, to, to single out a story. Um, Can you imagine Alan playing for Dean Smith? Never. He couldn't never. play for Dean Smith. Never. Never. Um, I can't even I imagine. Know. I can't even imagine Alan being. He wouldn't make it a month. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. Um, I don't know how Allen played for Coach Thompson at Georgetown. I mean, but Coach Thompson was big. He was a big guy, so I'm sure if he told Allen the. But I don't think Allen was the same guy in college that he was in the pros in terms of the way that he kind of did what he wanted to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So but if, I mean, if you saw Big John, you wouldn't do what John. No, did. that was a big man. That was yeah. a big man. Hey, George, I want to take a quick break and and tell everybody a little bit about my daughter. Um, okay. You know, we do All a right. charity update here on the Killing Me Smalls podcast. My daughter Jordan is 17 years old. She had a brain tumor. Uh, she went through uh, 15, 16 months of chemotherapy. And is doing great. Uh, unfortunately, it's an inoperable, so we've got to get it checked every four months and hope it doesn't grow. But she's doing amazing. Uh, her grades are, are fantastic. She got almost a perfect score in her math SATs. Um, she's ranked at the top of her high school class. And more importantly, um, she started a charity to help other people. It's called Small Miracles. And um, we've got a designation for a 501c3. And if you want to donate or be a part of it or get some merchandise, we just got these cool masks, Small Miracles masks, mm -hmm. we got t-shirts, sweatshirts, um, go to smallmiraclesinc.org and you can read about her story and you could donate and uh, or purchase t-shirt, sweatshirt, sweatpants, mask, whatever you want. And all the money, all the money goes right to helping uh kids that are getting chemotherapy at Children's Hospital. We raised about $15,000 at the end of last year and brought all kinds of things to the kids that were going through chemotherapy. Her vision is to get some kids some iPads this year. So that's what we're trying to get. And it's all going to CHOP, all to those kids. Mm -hmm. so, thank you for yeah, I'll, giving me I'll, a I'll definitely go on it. Yeah, I'll <laughs> definitely go on and check out the site. Maybe get some, my daughter walks around in sweatpants so she can there you go. a new pair. Some small miracle sweatpants for her would be great. Yep. So, hey, thanks for indulging me on that. I want to get back into this. So, you coached at SMU under Larry Brown, um, working in player development, and there was a young raw kid there with really long arms who is kicking ass <laughs> for the Sixers right now, named Shake Milton. Yeah. Could you ever believe? I'm telling you right now, he's got a shot, or at least he's being positioned to be six man of the year. He's playing really, really well, and he's shooting well over 40% from three-point range. His defense has improved dramatically. He can score in the paint like nobody's business, which, you know, among the trees with those arms. And um, I just think he's his his ceiling is huge, more than, you know, the fifth, I think he was the 54th pick in the draft and, um, you know, some big things. Can you, can you tell me about 
when you first came upon him and what you see in him and what people might not know about him? Uh, when she, when Shake first came to SMU and you watch him play, his his demeanor is kind of like, uh, you know, I'm out here, I'm gliding, I'm smooth. Mm-hmm. And, and, but you watch him and you see him play and you'd be like, if he, if he had a little bit more athleticism, he would have never played in that conference because he would have been a, he would have been an ACC Pac-12 Big Ten type kid. And I got to watch him for four years and I'm like, you, if you, if you don't know him and you hadn't seen him practice and you hadn't seen him play in a game, you just see him walk on the court in his body type, you'd be like, there's no way he's going to be a pro or he going to play in the league. Because of the same thing, you're like, well, who is he going to guard? He can't guard mm-hmm. a Westbrook. He can't do all these things. But he could play, like, almost three positions. I mean, he would make passes yeah. in practice. You'd be like, how did he get that through there? You know, or how did he see that? So he he has the skill set and the vision as a top echelon college player but because of his body, you know, his legs kind of go in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the, when he first got to SMU, I was I his athleticism has improved actually. Right. Yeah. He's gotten so, stronger. Uh, he put on 15 pounds of muscle in the off season. Exactly. So quicker. Right. So, so, but so when he came to SMU, it was like, all right, we got to get him in the weight room. So yeah. I was the strength coach for a year. I was player development for a year. So, you know, we would try to get him in the weight room and work on him without hurting him, you know, and then we were, you know, he was, he was constantly in the gym and his, and his shot is not like he got a pure, pure shot, like a, a Steph Curry or it's, it's, it's got a little funky twist to it, but it goes in and he, yeah. he stays in the gym. He don't say much. Uh, he's very quiet, but when you watch him play, he can score the basketball with, you know, with his deceptive, you know, he doesn't have that blazing speed that most guards have. So it was like, when scouts would call me, what you think about shake? I was like, well, he can play three positions, but who is he going to guard? And he needs to work on his body a little bit because I was always concerned about him getting hurt in an 82 game season. But he's steady. He's not going to be, he's not going to, lose a game by turning the ball over he's coachable uh he was a great teammate you know he was with nick moore who was t- twice player of the year he played with sterling brown and shimmy two other guys who were pros um and he played for coach brown and that was i mean he he got pro teaching he's coachable he listens and he was a great kid he he would stay in the gym get shots we shot we had a routine where we had to get 300 shots up before every game. So we would come out, get our shots up, get our routine in. And he would stay after every practice and get his shots up. So every year you saw him improve to become a player, a pro. And so he had all the intangibles. He just didn't have that pro body that most one or two guards you would think, other than the long arms, uh, that hits the, uh, past the eye test. It's but one of the great kid that I enjoy coaching. I've seen, I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to be up for most improved player, 
But the fact that his defense has gotten so good, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he gets to his spots and he knows where he can make a shot. He knows how to make a shot. And my God, he, he, I, I, I think he could end up being the closer at some point. I mean, he can create his own shot, which the Sixers don't have many guys that can do. And he yeah. can hit a three and he can, he can, you know, he can shoot, uh, catch and shoot. He can create a shot. He can shoot off the dribble. He's going to be a really, really good player. Yeah. He can play as long as he wants in the league. Um, uh, and, and like I said, I mean, I mean, you got you got Embiid and, and Simmons, and I mean, but if one of those two guys went down, I wouldn't I wouldn't lose any sleep because I know Shake if he's if he's averaging sixteen to fifteen points a game with those guys on the floor, if one of them went down and he had more opportunities, he would score thirty a night. He can definitely put up 30, although they're 0-4 without Embiid, so don't say that right now. <laughs> I, I can't let you out of here without this. One of the things that I enjoyed most about working with the team was the Carolina Duke game. That was a game that was just so much fun every year. Now, when you were there, uh, that was during the time when there was Leitner and Hurley and Grant Hill, and they uh, mm-hmm. won all those championships. Yeah. Uh, you got the better of them in some games. Definitely, you know, you won a couple ACC tournaments um, and definitely a, a couple of epic games in Chapel Hill and in Durham. Um, one of the things that people ask me all the time is, you know, people talk about Auburn, Alabama football, talk about Michigan and Ohio State. I don't think there's a better, better rivalry than Carolina Duke basketball. Why do you think it's mm-hmm. so good? You know, like they advertise all the time, the two schools are really, really close. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mike, like when we were in Chapel Hill, they used to come to Chapel Hill and party. Yeah. You know, now now they got their own little town down in Durham, little party spots. But back then, when I came, when I came to Chapel Hill, I remember King Rice saying, you don't, you don't talk to Dukies, you don't party with them. King, I mean... We had King, King on the show last year. <laughs> Yo, people don't know who King was in in college. King would King would fight someone in a bar. He was a badass. Yeah, and if he saw a dookie, you you had to you had to keep you had to keep King you had to stay in between them. You know, I can see. I remember me, Rick Fox, Pete Chilcut. If 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 one of them dookies came into players, <laughs> it was. We always gonna get into trouble if 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 King saw him. So. They wouldn't go to players. They go to four corners, if I recall. They were safe yeah. there. It was kind of kind of yeah. casual. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was it was one of those things back in the nineties and the eighties, and they were winning. You know, they had won two Final Fours, and you know, with Christian Leitner being on the team, you know, it's funny because during that time, Christian was a Christian. Was kind of he wasn't arrogant because he was good, but he was cocky. And he knew it. And he let people know it, and it rubbed it rubbed the Carolina players oh. wrong. Partly because they beat us a few times, and then, um, but that robbery, man, it was it was different. Now they these guys got social media. They communicate and play pickup. We wouldn't play pickup with those guys back then, and. 
and it was so that went on for years before I got there, and probably a few years after with Stackhouse and Rashid and all them guys. Now the rivalry, I don't know if it's that intense as far as between the players, but the media, the games are big. Most of the time, both teams are ranked. Uh, it usually comes down to one of those two teams winning the conference regular season or winning the tournament. Uh, and then what, you, what about when you get to the NBA though? Like, um, like, man, you hated those guys. And then the next thing, you know, you, you know, if you have one on your team or, or what have you yet, um, I'm trying to think if well, any of them the, you know, I had Bobby Hurley, I had Bobby Hurley on my team. And then, you know, later on in career, you know, which team was that? Uh, was that Vancouver? Vancouver. And then we were both on the USA team together that went over to. In the that, now, when when you're like that, when you're in that situation, do you guys sit in a bar and go, "Oh man, remember that game we played against Duke? Man, I hated you." Or did, well, we don't really bring up the, like we that. don't we don't we don't really bring up the game and the rivalry, but we we have that mutual respect for each other because both teams won most of the time. All those guys were at the time. They all wanted to come to Carolina and didn't come. Like Bobby wanted to come to Carolina, but he didn't because they had King and yeah. and Derek Phelps. Uh, you know, I heard Grant wanted to come to Carolina, but he didn't come because Brian Reese and myself was there. Uh, I'm not. I heard sure that. Um, I think with Bobby, legend has it that we were recruiting Kenny Anderson, and Bobby's yeah. dad told Dean Smith. Stop recruiting Kenny Anderson and we'll come. And he said no, and we lost both of them. Yeah. That's what I remember about that. I don't remember the Grant Hill story though. Yeah, and 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 I heard that Grant wanted to come, uh, but we had Brian Reese and myself and whatever. But um those guys are great. You know, off the court, the rivalry in the the competition, of course we want to win, but you know, Coach Smith never talked about wins and losses. Um we always just tried to get better and the bar was so high because we knew if we lost to Duke, the feeling on campus, it's like we let the whole campus down. It was 20 some thousand students. Yeah. If if we lost to Duke, it rained that day. The sun didn't come out. You know, it was those type of feelings. And but I remember we beat them, it was it was it was like the world came to an end. And for an 18 year old to have that type of pressure on them you know, to win a, win a basketball game. It was, I mean, you could, if we, if Carolina lost to Duke and you want to go out to dinner the next night in Chapel Hill, you're right. It's like a cloud, you know, descended upon the town. I mean, the waiters are in a bad mood. The food probably sucked. I mean, yep. it, it, it's amazing what it did to the, the girls. The girls were uglier in the club. They got uglier. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one advantage Carolina had over Duke with the girls. I remember yeah. the Duke guys used to come on campus and say, you know, yep. that yep. I'm sure that came up a few times. Although my daughter might be applying to Duke, so I probably should not be making these jokes. <laughs> well, if she just if she gets into Duke, that's a, it's a great education, great school. I, that's why I said my <laughs> wife asked me. She said if. If Mia Santana got a scholarship or got into Duke, would you let him go? I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, I would prefer them to go to Carolina if they got into Carolina also. But if Carolina didn't recruit them or they didn't get in and they got a chance to go to Duke. All right, then I have your blessing. Yes, yes, you got my blessing. George, I can't. We were still making, hey, hey, Mike, we were still making way to Carolina. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you got to go down there so you can make the eight-mile trip. It's no big deal. Yeah. 
We'll yeah. still say, stay at the Carolina Inn and there you go. George, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. Um, so great catching up with you. Um, you know, I really hope everybody, tell everybody how to follow you on Twitter. Um, yeah, my Twitter page, well, my Twitter page is George Lynch Coach. Um, I also have a nonprofit, HBCU Heroes, where we try to, because I coached two years at Clark Atlanta at a HBCU, you know, they don't have the same resources that, you know, most Division One big programs have. We try to get the, you know, level the playing field for students at HBCU. Hey, so I just want to let you know one more thing. You see that basketball behind me? I see it. That is a signed 1993 National Championship basketball. It goes with me everywhere. It's uh, my favorite team, my favorite season. And uh, I have you and many others to thank for it, my friend. Thank you for the time. Hopefully we can bring you back uh, maybe later on in the Sixer season. Yeah, definitely. After let's let's do it after Shake Score Forty. I'm gonna have to text him and tell him I need. A- hey, it's Justin Grasso from Sports Illustrated. You're killing me, Smalls. Enjoy the podcast.